This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 16 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're joined by Chrissy from Educating Geeks. How's it going, Chrissy? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome aboard. Yeah. So so you, you do Educating Geeks, which I know a lot of people on the network are familiar with because, uh, you know, there's a, a strong Educating Geeks presence on the 602 Club and, and whatnot. But um, specifically, what, what, what do you do on, on the show? Uh, well, I, I like to contribute where I, where I can and jump in on stuff that I'm super interested in. I like to think that I provide the uh, uh, coming up with silly jokes. <laughs> That's usually my contribution is like, did you notice this funny, silly thing? And then uh, everybody's like, oh, Chrissy, that's not what happened at all. Uh, but I, I really like uh, classic movies and uh, and being introduced to new geeky things as well. Cool, cool. Awesome. Well, silly jokes are always needed on podcasts. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So uh, what, what about Star Trek? Uh, are, are you a fan? I am a fan. I'm definitely not like on the level of a super fan who like really knows everything. Uh, but I am a fan. I really love everything that I've seen. I uh, particularly love the uh, original series. I love I love me some William Shatner and uh, and all of that fun. Uh, I've seen all the movies and I love them a lot. Uh, and I particularly love the new J.J. Abrams uh, movie and uh, Into Darkness. So good. I love it so much. Me too, you know? I mean, <laughs> everyone else The production is like, quality wasn't at fault and, with that movie. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I, I think that uh, Star Trek 09 is, like, the best Star Trek thing ever, and, you know, Into Darkness is, is pretty high up there, too. So, so you're looking forward to the new movie, Star Trek Beyond? Oh, yes. I saw the preview when it uh, came out online, and I was just like, I'm psyched. I've, I've seen some people... Uh, you know, nitpicking things here and there, but I- I'm psyched. I loved it. I thought it looked super exciting. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, you say you're not a big fan of Star Trek, but you've seen the animated series. I mean, I have seen all of the animated series. I have. That's more dedicated than most hardcore fans. I'm going to point yeah. that out. Uh, I I own an improv comedy theater called National Comedy Theater, and through that and Phoenix Comic Con, uh, we have done several panels where we watch the animated series and sort of pick apart the episodes and talk about how they're just bonkers a lot of the time. It's a crazy show. It's a crazy show, right? I mean, what, they they do like a, I mean, they they meet the devil in one episode, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And... I mean, it's it's great. It's great. They've got the the one where the the giant slugs are keeping them captive in the in the in the zoo and everything. It's good stuff. And it's that it's, actually it's that old stuff. school animation that also brings yes. something sort of special and strange to the table, where everybody's eyeballs are like just the same as their flesh tone, <laughs> mysteriously. Yeah, that, I I I. I, it looks like Scooby-Doo animation, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what I miss about it. Like, I, I miss that animation style. I, I truly do. If they were to make another Star Trek series that's not live action, I would want them to ape that style because I just think it's fun. 
And that's the thing. Everyone's always like, you know, the stories were really good. If they were to like redo the animation as like CGI, then that'd be something really great. And I'm always like, you are freaking insane. No, I want to see like a C-Lab kind of thing where they take that animation and do new, better stories than eh, whatever. I'm with you guys. (laughs) (laughs) So... We're uh, we're talking about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation today, which is the final film that J.J. Abrams produced for someone else uh, as of right now uh, for another month or less than a month. Um, But uh, before we get into Mission Impossible Rogue Nation in particular, uh, Chrissy, what are your thoughts on Mission Impossible as, as a whole? Because I hear you're a really big fan. I am a big fan and I, I love it. I'm, I'm the girl who walks around and just like, you haven't seen Mission Impossible Rogue Nation? When, let's stop what we're doing and let's just take a moment. Let me share this with you so that your life can be better from here on out. Uh, I love it. Um, of course, I'm a fan of the genre in general, but I just think Mission Impossible has something so special about it. Um, I'm a big fan of always finding that lesson in movies where it's like, hey, you know, never give up. Just keep on trying. And that's that's the Mission Impossible uh, mantra right there is an impossible doesn't exist. There's always a way as long as you're willing to, you know, as long as you have really great core strength and you're willing to do whatever it takes to, to get the job done. Uh, plus, I, I think that Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation both had lots of um, elements of comedy to them. So it's not just 100% action, uh, you know, hitting, hitting, hitting all the time. There's also really great moments of of levity and comedy uh, and visual humor uh, that just elevate the whole thing, in my opinion. And I'm a particular fan of Tom Cruise. Awesome. Who's not? Before we go forward, I I just want to get your opinion on Last Samurai and its greatness. Yes? Last Samurai. All right. Well, here's the thing. They can't all be gems. If you're going to be as oh, prolific okay, stop, as, stop. as this my didn't man go Tommy the, Cruise. This did not go the way I imagined. <laughs> this did not go the way I imagined. Let's go back to Rogue Nation. Thank Let's you. go back to Thank Rogue you. Nation. Thank you. That's exactly what I was saying last week is Last Samurai you're bo- you're is a piece wrong. of crap. You know, despite wrong. the fact that it, it's it's a piece of crap. It's really, really <sighs> long and really, really boring and really who cares. Although they, he, he did get, he's working with that director again. Uh, what's his name? Marshall Herskovitz or whatever. He's he's directing uh, the new Jack Reacher movie for him now. So Really? Yeah. Okay, that is super intriguing to me. I'm, I'm not sure good or bad, but but I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I will go see that movie. Um, and I, I just think Tom Cruise as a person also is super interesting. Like he gets a lot of flack, as you guys have pointed out, mm-hmm. uh, for being a, an unusual sort of fella but i think that he's you know super intense yes obviously but i think he's intense in a really like positive way you know yeah and for for better or worse you know if the guy wants to hang on the side of an airplane as impractical as that might be he's gonna make it happen you know whatever the obstacles are that are in the way you know he's gonna figure out a way to overcome them and do what he sets his mind to do and i think i think we could all admire that a little bit yeah sure. yeah every everyone's everyone you hear talk about him say he's a super nice guy like the nicest yeah. guy in the world and and he makes some awesome movies i, I just saw jerry Maguire on the big screen a few weeks ago that movie is so good he's so good in that movie i mean mm-hmm. yeah and then there's magnolia so you know there you go yeah oh, what a uh, performance. <laughs> and top gun man top gun top gun that's true 
Yeah. <sighs> the way you feel about Last Samurai, the way I feel about Top Gun. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. So, okay. So, so then uh, finally, what, what, what do you think about J.J. Abrams? I know you said you, you liked the, the new Star Trek movies. Um, you, you're a fan of his other work in general? or? I am, yes. And, and for a while, I feel like I was like enjoying his work without knowing that he was you know, the man behind the curtain responsible for it all. Uh, but the more I hear about things that he has been involved with, the more I'm like, yeah, loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, his body of work is impressive. And now, you know, these days, if I, if I see his name attached, if I see bad robot attached, I'm going to, I'm going to check it out. And because I'm, I'm, I think there's a better than average chance that it's going to be something that's impressive and worth my time. Excellent. Cool. Excellent. All right. So let's, let's get into Mission Impossible Rogue Nation here. Okay, this is a movie which came out uh, just just uh, this past summer. It is written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who um, is probably best known as the Oscar-winning writer of The Usual Suspects, but he's written a million other things. Uh, apparently, he even uh, did an uncredited rewrite on um, Rogue One, the new Star Wars movie, which will be out this Christmas. Um, I did not word. know that. That's the word on the street. It, it hasn't been officially confirmed, but people are saying that he quote unquote saved the movie. So who knows? Wow. Mm. Um, he's also, in, in my opinion, a, a, a really, really good director, having only directed two movies uh, prior to this, uh, Jack Reacher, which we were talking about before. And before that, years and years before that, uh, The Way of the Gun. Have, have you guys? Which I love. Yeah. So good. Have you seen it, John? Never seen it. Oh, yeah. Always wanted to. Never seen it. You got to see it. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. It's pretty great. Uh, so so yeah. So he's and he, you know, Tom Cruise seems to like with people. It seems to like working with people who he's worked with before. So, you know, Christopher McQuarrie, having directed Jack Reacher, he you know got the gig for for Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation. Um, it, the, the, the story was co-written by McQuarrie and Drew Pierce, who was, uh, the co-writer on Iron Man 3, so that's pretty cool. And, yeah, uh, John, would you want to give a synopsis of this thing? Yes. Um, it's the fifth Mission Impossible movie, and Mission impossible things happen, they and do. there's a big bad guy, and they beat him. Spoilers. Um, Spoilers. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, I, you know, honestly, it is, you know, it's, it's what you, I guess what you've come to expect from a Mission Impossible movie, which is it's a, a, uh, you know, a, a continent traversing uh, super plot of bad guys that are trying to bring about, you know, the destruction of the world as we know it. And there's only one group of people that can stop them and they've been disavowed by the government <laughs> and they have to stop them. Um, even though they won't get the credit for it or something. The the disavowing thing, I mean, we talked about that last week. Yeah. But it would be great just once <laughs> to see one of these movies where they're actually just like, you guys are good at your job. We need you to go in and do something. But right. where, where they're avowed. You yeah. guys are avowed. Yeah. <laughs> go for it. Get out there. Right. Do your thing. Yep. Yep. Maybe, maybe next the time. The full resources of the IMF yep. is at your disposal. <laughs> But Let I mean, us know if you need anything. But, but I mean, imagine that, like, how good they do without the full resources of the IMF. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Like, they don't have to, they can use their main credit card instead of, like, yeah. the backup yeah. card to get around. It'd be 
pretty awesome. I mean, they could they can submit their receipts later for <laughs> yeah, reimbursement. Right. right, the Vienna tickets get reimbursed next time. I yeah, mean, I mean, if they have all those resources, then like at some point they have to go to space, right? Because I mean, they they can, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, the moon base that's up there that would be awesome. I'd love to see them. Oh, um, I would love to see Mission Impossible do a uh, like a Moonraker riff. That'd oh, be yeah. great. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Ooh, wait a minute. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, Chrissy, what did you think about Rogue Nation? I loved it. I really loved it. I enjoyed it a lot. I um, saw it twice in the theater and like ran out on the day it came out on DVD and, and bought my DVD Blu-ray copy so I could uh, really irritate my husband by watching it again at least two more times. Um, I loved it. I thought I, I thought Ghost Protocol was amazing. I thought Rogue Nation was just as good. It would be hard for me to decide which one I like better. Um, but I think there's a lot, a lot happening in in Rogue Nation that uh, is exciting and easy to get behind, easy to love. Where do you think it ranks amongst the other? Mission Impossible movies. I I'm particularly fond of uh, Ghost Protocol and and Rogue Nation. Of course, Mission Impossible Three I thought was great. Mission Impossible Two sort of lost me a little bit. Like yes. maybe there's too much Dove happening. That is the correct around. opinion. Too much Dove. That is um, the absolute and, correct opinion to have. Yes. Nope. And yeah. you know, Mission Impossible One was kind of a like uh, let, let's get the band together sort of thing. So. Um, I think, to me, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation are kind of tied, depending on the day, one or the other is my favorite. Um, and I think it was because they had that extra little edge of being sort of funny and, and sort of cheeky and a little bit um, sassier and more self-aware than maybe the first two. Yeah, it's strange because, I mean, now you kind of think of that as being just sort of like a staple of the franchise, you know. I mean, you think of like Simon Pegg as sort of like the the standard comic relief. And they even sort of get away from that in in Rogue Nation. But, yeah, when you think about, you know, especially those first two movies, there really isn't that. I mean, occasionally they tell jokes and occasionally they're funny. Not always. But it's always this dry humor, like, you know, Mm -hmm. Anthony Hopkins saying, this is Mission Impossible, not Mission Difficult, you know, difficult should be a walk in the park or whatever it was, you know. And it's like, it's one of those things where you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. But I mean, like (laughs) these other movies, you know, you got Simon Pegg, you know, doing this stuff and or Jeremy Renner or whoever. And just the way that everyone's playing off of each other, it's like legitimately funny. So... And Alec Baldwin as well is is another actor. You know, I think you're, you've got a laundry list of actors yeah. who are great at drama, great at action, but then also are skilled comedians. You know, we've seen over and over lots of times in the different roles that they've taken on. So they understand both sides of the coin, action, drama, and comedy. Uh, they're equally skilled across the board. So I think it makes it possible for those funny moments to have a bit of a stronger ring than your then you're Anthony Hopkins giving you a bit of uh, wit. Yeah. Yeah, I oh, agree. But here's my question, though, because I've, I've had this hypothesis for years now. You know, I'm under the, um, the, the belief that any role that Alec Baldwin gets should go to William Shatner. Um, do you think that that holds up here? Do you think William Shatner in this role would be uh, <laughs> uh, a superior um, bit of casting? 
Let me, I I need to take a moment and like picture Shatner in 30 Rock and see what that looks like in my mind's eye. And I think it, I think it holds up. I, I would, I would love to see Shatner in that role. Absolutely. But I think Baldwin was also good. He was good. He's good for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'll I'll take a, I think though that, you know, Baldwin in this, he comes to it, like he's coming to it from that, like sort of, uh, I'm an action guy, you know, look at my haircut and my eyebrows as I raise them menacingly at you and use this voice <laughs> to convince you. Um, so that's where we start with him. And then we sort of get the moments of comedy towards the end. I think with Shatner, it would have been, fu- you know, like it would have been like, Oh, look, it's William Shatner. I'm so excited to be seeing him. So, uh, I do like that as a theory though. I'm, I'm a fan of your theory. Definitely. Uh, I, I think Shatner would have worked. Yeah, yeah. He 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 definitely would have worked, but I think Baldwin, and I, I say this with utmost respect to uh, to to Mr. Shatner. Baldwin may be with us for a few more recurring appearances. And that, that could be, but you know, then again, that, that, it's Mission Impossible, you know. so you know <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. I you know, uh, I could easily see like Chrissy to agree with you. I, I think that um, the more comedic stuff, I definitely could have seen Shatner tackling, but. I think the like the hearing stuff like Baldwin carries enough of that sort of uh, the the same weight that he had in the you know in the in the famous ABC scene from Glengarry Glen Ross. He can bring that weight to it, and you know, oh, this guy's such a dick. And then you know, you, you move forward, and then you can still buy that he's funny and he's lightened up. So yeah. well, he, and he, can he has play that. Uh, Baldwin has that line. Uh, at the at the one of the final scenes where he says something along the lines of Ethan Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny and he has set his sights on you. Yeah. And and that line is a little bit cheesy and, <laughs> and kind of corny. So I, I don't know. It's like you said, if he didn't bring that like Alec Baldwin weight to it, like I believe Alec Baldwin would make those sort of giant pronouncements probably yes. just going about his everyday life yeah, yeah. Uh, so it would be interesting <laughs> yeah. to hear a shatner take on that line reading in particular that would be great yeah. that'd be great um i mean the other thing that sh- that baldwin brings to it in sort of a, a meadow way is you know he was jack ryan you know he's yeah. got that no, that right. history and it's like here he is you know at a different point in his career and everything and now he's the boss of you know, the new Jack Ryan in a sense, which I don't know, Mm -hmm. maybe that's a little cute or maybe it's unintentional, but either way, I like it. You know, it's cool. It works. Well, what about you, John? You hadn't seen the movie up until now. So uh, what did you think about it? I, I had not seen the movie up until now. And I can honestly say that this is one of those rare uh, movie experiences where when I miss it in the theater and I see it, uh, you know, when I rent it, I, so thoroughly regretted from beginning to finish not seeing it in the movie theater, especially the stuff that I know were IMAX sequences. Like I could kick myself because I have a legit IMAX theater within driving distance of my house and I didn't go see it. I will never make that mistake again. Um, I loved this from beginning to finish. I, uh, I actually give the edge to this over ghost protocol because uh, in specific, 
I feel more that he outsmarted the villain at the end as opposed to just bludgeoning him into submission. And that's the type of thing I like to see that actually, for me, harkens more back to the original Mission Impossible movie where it felt like he was using his brain as well as his brawn. Um, in terms of the action sequences, I, I honestly feel like having seen Ghost Protocol very shortly before this, that Ghost Protocol, they had fun with it and they had nice big action sequences and I feel almost like somebody walked in to the pre-production meetings for this movie and said that's what we did we're we need to go bigger we need to make this insane and I I think that they went crazy insane in the right places and they they just delivered like I, I can't praise this one enough I, I think I have to go back and rewatch the original but right now this one stands at the top of the heap I think that they just Every single, I mean, it enjoyed it so much that even when I, I saw him spill off the motorcycle in that scene, I didn't go, well, every bone in his body is broken and he's probably lost 80% of his skin and he wasn't even wearing a helmet and he should, you know, go, you know, be convalescing somewhere. I went, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. Like and also it, he was dead like 20 minutes before that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. He's a resilient chap. He, he really is. is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I think I, I went into this last week, but you know, I, I've always been a huge fan of this of of this franchise uh, from the very beginning, and and it's it's one of those things where I always really look forward to the next Mission Impossible movie. I'm always super excited about it. You know, at the beginning because it was like the first blockbuster at the summer, then the first blockbuster that I showed as a projectionist, and then you know, so it, there's always been this anticipation. I mean, this was the movie out of all the movies that came out last summer that I was looking forward to the most for sure, and um, I, especially since you know I I love Christopher McQuarrie and I love you know Way of the Gun and everything and. Um, when I saw it, I, I saw it, you know, in, in the theater and my initial reaction was like, yeah, that's good, but it does not compare to the other ones. Like, you know, this may be the, the worst of all of them, even though I still think it is a very good movie, you know, it just didn't connect with me on, on some level, which is strange. Um, but rewatching it again this week, it worked a lot more uh, than it did, you know, the first time around. I still don't think it's as good as uh, three or or four um, at all. And I don't know. I mean, yes, I guess if you were to do the math, it is a better movie than two. Although there's something about two which just holds this this weird place in my heart. Um, so you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does really work. And like like the motorcycle chase, for example, I, I thought was. You know, fantastic you know i mean that's one of the best sequences yep. in i think any of these movies and um you know like like you're saying the writing i think is um uh very very good you know maybe maybe better than most i mean i don't know it's hard because like three has a lot of like logic gaps and stuff like that and there's some things about it which don't really work when you put it all together but i think um it it really works on sort of a um a thematic level. I don't know. I, I definitely think that three is the best. Um, so I don't know whether or not you could consider three to be the best written or I could consider three to be the best written um, of the series, but this is definitely close to, to that. Um, and yeah, 
I mean, there's there's things about it which I like, things about it which I, I didn't really work for me as well. But, you know, watching it again now, I, I definitely liked it a lot more. And I had this weird thing where after I finished it, I had this overwhelming desire to, like, go back and watch specific sequences over again just because I wanted to sort of, like, relive those moments. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think it's a good movie, you know? I I don't know exactly where I would put it in in the overall franchise, but somewhere in there. <laughs> but what what is it that didn't work? What what keeps it from rising above or specifically equal to three or four with you? What is it that doesn't quite click? Well, it's interesting because I think like three and four work. Um, for different reasons, you know. Three. I mean, one of the things that I really connected to with that was the the relationship you know between him and his wife and all that stuff I thought that that was really good I thought the team dynamic was really solid in that one and um, I also just loved the direction in that movie I mean J.J. Abrams I think that he's like one of the absolute top directors in the world and I love his style I absolutely love it with four I feel like it was much more sure of itself on sort of an aesthetic level it had um like the the you could tell like the planning and the choreography and everything which was involved in creating these sequences was like so um well thought out that it you know the the sequences played in this sort of almost you know um uh rhythmic you know musical mm-hmm. you know fashion which which I really appreciated sort of like seeing how they put all this stuff together in a very specific way with this one I feel like while some of the sequences like for example the motorcycle chase may be better than some of the sequences in Ghost Protocol um I think it intentionally has a a much rougher quality to it it's it's very um sort of like edgy and sort of down you know down and dirty you know grounded Mm -hmm. um storytelling you know and and uh it i mean that's one of the things that i i love about this series is each one feels different you know and i don't know maybe i just responded better Mm -hmm. to those other two aesthetics than i did to to this one but i still think it works really well i don't know fair enough Fair enough. I thought that uh, the uh, Scientology reference might have thrown you off. I didn't see that. What, what no. was the oh, the record in the beginning that he gets his uh, fake mission from uh-huh. is straight out of Battlefield Earth, the book. That is really? how they impart the information to Johnny Goodboy. I know because I read that book <laughs> and I saw that atrocious movie. Book way better than the movie. Ending still stinks, but the the, the book's way better. But yeah, that's how they... Um, train Johnny Goodboy Tyler is they have these giant records that they put on a turntable and like goes into his brain and like projects out and stuff like that and as soon as he put it on there I was like wow you sly devil you got a (laughs) Battlefield Earth reference in here nice so I can only hope he put it in there as a dig at Travolta for screwing up Battlefield Earth so badly I'm sure that's probably what it was (laughs) I imagine there's probably some Scientology infighting that happens from time to time (laughs) I guess we'll never know. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> so, um, okay, what did you guys think about uh, Christopher McQuarrie's direction? Because, I mean, like, I guess, like, like we were just saying, it is very different from the others in the series. 
Uh, Chrissy, what, what did you think about it? You said you're a fan of Way of the Gun, right? I am a fan of Way of the Gun. I like Way of the Gun a lot, um, and I like a lot of the movies that he's written too. So it's it's cool to see him directing a movie, you know, without a lot of movies to look back to and be like, well, this is a signature Christopher McQuarrie move here. Um, and I thought there were a lot of moments in uh, Rogue Nation that were just like really visually like interesting. Um, so, for example, when he is in the big underwater spinning mm. computer lab um and he's finally running out of oxygen just this shot of like uh you see ethan's hands like release the handle and like you this door slowly drifts away from him and i thought that was really interesting way to frame the shot uh and way to sort of give us that uh information and lots of other like just fun visual uh visual shots that he went with which were almost themselves jokes like in the big car chase where they end up window to window side by side with uh, <laughs> Jeremy Renner and Bing Ray so that's yeah, that a funny good. visual joke and then when they fi- the car finally crashes and they're on the ground you see the the feet and legs of one of the motorcycle villains approaching and then pow he's hit by yeah. a car um, I think that uh, Christopher McQuarrie has a great way of showing the audience what he wants them uh, to see in a way that will that gives the information with having to use dialogue to tell the audience what they should be seeing and thinking and feeling mm-hmm. um which is good good storytelling good filmmaking in my opinion but it also gives you those uh those moments of uh visual comedy in a way yeah. yeah, for sure. It's kind of interesting that he would be so visual considering the fact that his background really is primarily in writing and not so much in, you know, direction. But yeah, that's that, that is interesting. It's true. Well, the the movies that he's written too are uh, although he's responsible for the words, I guess, a lot of those movies are require the visuals to be there in order for you to get the story like uh, mm-hmm. The Usual Suspects or Edge of Tomorrow and yeah. uh, things of that nature and uh, I remember Way of the Gun being one of the things I liked about it uh, being very much there was a lot of moments of silence between the characters where they were just like acting to tell us what was what was happening between them Uh, so I I think that Rogue Nation had that as well yeah Yeah, I I I agree and actually to to speak to your point about like knowing how and when to show the audience you know the the information visually uh, one of the things that really jumped out to me that that I really liked a lot um, is in the end when and, and you'll forgive me that I can't recall the character names off the top of my head, but when she is being pursued by the bone doctor um, and, you know, he's he's going through that 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 beautiful set piece with the columns and everything and she's moving around. There's no quick visual gag of him popping out from behind a column or anything like that it's a true it's a truly tense moment because she has the initiative because she's gotten around him and it's just really tense when she's sneaking up behind him it just it feels so real and so uh believable that you know it would play out like this that it's not it's not a cheap thrill it's a true build of suspense to the inevitable fight that's going to happen between them it doesn't it doesn't cheat its way there it builds to it 
I guess for me, when I first heard that Macquarie was directing, I was super excited because, you know, he, he is so good. But the thing that I kept on thinking about was how Way of the Gun, which is a very action-packed movie, um, the way that it goes about its action, which is, like, to do it in the most realistic way possible. Like, you know, I heard that, you know, there's the whole thing where they're, like, trying to get this ransom. It's, like, what, $30 million or something like that. And they actually, like measured it out and figured out like what that would be in terms of how many bags you know how many duffel bags filled with cash you know and everything and Mm. and you know all of the the sort of like military tactics which are used in the gun battles and stuff like that are all sound and and everything and speaking of sound all of the gunshots actually sound like real gunshots and everything and i sort of loved the idea of like a guy who you know goes through that much effort to make action realistic doing a mission impossible movie which is usually the most out there crazy insane Mm. unrealistic action you'll ever see you know and well it was certainly more out there than i would have i guess hoped for you know not that i'm against that in general but i kind of wanted to see that that unique quality that Macquarie would bring to it um i definitely think it is more grounded than than the other movies you know like we were talking about i mean something that we talked about a lot last week was robert elswitz photography you know in um in Mm -hmm. in ghost protocol he photographed this movie as well and one of the things which struck me you know right away as soon as you know the movie started up this time is it looks completely different from the last movie you know it's much grainier and there's a lot more handheld stuff and it's like got sort of these golden hues to it and everything and i mean it really kind of speaks to what it is the director brings to the visual style especially when you've got a cinematographer like elswit who we were talking about last week Mm -hmm. is you know very sort of malleable and does whatever the director needs him to do and I, i think that that was pretty cool and i mean the fact I don't know. I, I'm kind of obsessed with grain structure for some reason, but whatever. I know it's a weird thing to be obsessed Nothing with. Nothing is surprising anymore, Mike. Nothing <laughs> I know, is I surprising know. anymore. But seeing the grain structure in this movie, I was like, wow, that's so cool. You know, they were trying to make this thing much more realistic and much more grounded. And, um, I think because of that, things like the motorcycle chase, which you can compare to the motorcycle chase in Mission Impossible 2, maybe works better. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe. Maybe works better because <laughs> oh, yeah, it, may- is, maybe, maybe. it is <laughs> so mm-hmm. much more realistic, maybe. so much more visceral and, and everything. And um, yeah, I, I, I really did like his direction quite a bit. I thought it was pretty awesome. Okay. So now here's the big question. Okay, big question for me. Maybe not a big question for anyone else, but um, Mission Impossible as a franchise, five movies, five different directors, no director trying to mimic what the director before him did or anything like that. Five unique visions of this franchise, of this character. I mean, you could almost say, like, up until number three that, you know, Tom Cruise is playing a different character in those first three movies. You might as well, you know? Yeah. There's nothing to suggest that it is the same character aside from his name and his job. So now, Mission Impossible 5. Everyone loves it. We're all in agreement that it's awesome. You two think that it it may be the best of the franchise. Uh, they've announced that Mission Impossible 6 will be made, of course, and that it will be written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie. So... 
Chrissy, how do you feel about this? Are you happy that Christopher McQuarrie is coming back, or are you sad that we're not going to get to see someone else's vision? I am. I am both. I am both. I do think that it's kind of a bummer to break a streak like that, you know, where you sort of have to ask yourself, well, wasn't the intention to always be bringing a a fresh perspective to this? So I see your point for sure, but I'm also excited that he's coming back. I I liked this movie a lot. I liked his take on it. I'm, I'm excited to see what he's going to do with another uh, Ethan Hunt story and where he's going to take it from here. Um, so I would say, like, on the whole, I'm glad about it. I'm glad. It's maybe it's maybe also a bummer for the next director who won't be getting the opportunity. Uh, but I'm confident that I'm going to like what I see. Yeah. All right. What about you, John? Uh, well, okay. The the I, I think that the Mission Impossible movies, the, the closest uh, analog, whatever, is like James Bond. Okay, Ethan Hunt is essentially James Bond in, in this series. And so Bond has had a bunch of different directors. However, whenever they found somebody who was able to get the job done and do something really well, you know, communicate a story um, really well and bring something to Bond that they felt elevated it, they would stick with that director. Uh, sometimes it can go wrong. Um, and you know, you, you wind up with, uh, you know, some messes along the way, but I think that in this case, it's very much worth the gamble, especially because I think it's possible that they're viewing five and six, like a duology because five very much feels like a setup to make the impossible missions force, um, you know, a legit organization. Cause you know, like we were, we were joking about, I think, you know, shortly before, you know, they're they're going to be avowed this time. Like you have yeah. Alec Baldwin is installed as the director at the beginning, and you you know you have William Brandt um, who's going to be his right hand man who can communicate with Ethan and go out to the field when he needs to. It feels like this is set up for the next story with this team, and so I'm okay with it because I think that the director coming back will provide that continuity, and then maybe he you know then it's a pass off the torch for the seventh one. Because he's done his job to get the story up to this point. Uh, that's just my take on it. Okay. Before before I, I give my take on it, I mean, just one thing that you were talking about, you know, the James Bond movies or whatever. And I know, mm-hmm. Chrissy, you mentioned um, something about how these movies, these last two movies are, are uh, sort of connected in a way or similar to what's going on with, with the James Bond franchise. With James Bond. Yeah, it's it's something that I I'm I I also I'm not as I'm not as big a Bond fan. I have to admit, I uh, I enjoy Bond, but I don't like just run to it the way I run to a Mission Impossible. But I have noticed in watching the last several Bond movies that have come out pretty close to Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation Mm. that there were so many similarities that I find myself getting confused sometimes when I'm trying to remember which thing Mm. happened in which movie. Um, I think there is there's a scene in Rogue Nation uh, where Alec Baldwin is basically saying that the Impossible Missions Force is a throwback to a bygone era where agents 
operated without oversight and the world has moved on to the point where we no longer need an Ethan Hunt out there doing whatever he feels is best. I think that Ray Fiennes has almost that exact speech in either Skyfall or Spectre. Uh, Skyfall. He's like, yeah, the world no longer yeah. le- needs Bond. We don't need double O's anymore. And for exactly the same reason, we've moved on and you're uh, a relic from the past. Um, so they're the kind of the plots maybe are, are a little bit similar to me, uh, which I, I, I don't want to say that I don't love it, but it is a little bit like, oh, okay. So, oh, somebody's got a list of all the agent's names. <laughs> they should <laughs> stop making those lists, by the way. Like, stop putting all the agent's names on a list. Um, uh, you know, and it, the Ethan Hunt is always disavowed, as we said, but it seems like Bond is always also, like, not allowed to be part of the the team. Um, th- then they also had a, an element introduced in the last several films, which I really love, which is this idea of Ethan Hunt and James Bond throughout the course of the stories, like, getting hurt and being tired Mm-hmm. And and sort of just sometimes shaking their heads and being like, oh, "Are you serious right now? You want me to do <laughs> yeah. what?" Um, yeah. And I, I think in both Skyfall and in Ghost Protocols, we sort of see the introduction of of that, where you know their their team members and the people who are getting all the stuff together for them is like, "Okay," and then you're going to run up the side of this building with these special uh, gloves that are made of glue, and then you're just going to hop on back. And, uh, you know, or, or hold your breath for four minutes while you do all this complicated technical stuff. And, yeah. oh, yeah, uh, watch out for the spinning arms of death. And, oh, yeah, also, <laughs> I'm going to get killed if you screw up. Have fun, Ethan. Like, I think Simon Pegg even says to him, like, oh, he's fine. Don't yeah. don't worry about him. He's, he's good. He's Ethan Hunt. Uh, and, and Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt sort of gets those moments of, like, seriously? I, you want me to what? <laughs> didn't i just do a thing <laughs> like i already did something today uh and and then you see that in bond too like in particular in skyfall where he's getting hurt and he's and he's like tired and winded and um you know i, I think the villain says to him like do we really have to do this all this running around are you sure this is the way we're gonna solve it so you know i think in both of those sort of plot and in this kind of new new way to see the hero as being like a human being who's infinitely capable, but also like still wants to take a nap at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of happens in both. <laughs> now, see, now, now uh, you, you've, you've intrigued me to the point where I want to go back and I want to do double features of Mission Impossible with the bond that came out closest to them to see how mm-hmm. much well, the series has been informed. There's actually, I mean, because especially with these last two now, they involve like a secret society of you know agents and you know and there are some people who are actually saying like because you know this movie was originally supposed to come out at christmas um going head to head with star wars which would have been which would have ended fantastically for mission impossible i'm sure and they moved (laughs) the release date um you know up to to july and a lot of people were speculating that maybe the reason was because you know people were starting to realize that it has the exact same plot as Spectre, you know, in a lot of ways. And maybe they were trying to distance themselves so as to avoid the comparison. Although I think at the time, there are a lot of people who are thinking that Spectre would be the superior movie. And the general reaction ended up uh, 
going in, I, in Mission Impossible's favor, but you know, as a diehard Bond fan, I'm forced to agree with it. Mission Impossible Five was superior. Now, I'm not. I I truly did enjoy Spectre a lot, but yeah, Mission Impossible Five I feel was more successful in uh, in a number of areas. Fair enough. I I, I personally yeah. think that Spectre was better in this instance, but you know. But I thought Mission Impossible 3 was better than Casino Royale, so it all balances out, okay? I guess so, in the Great Ledger. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, so for for me, just because I, I haven't, I mean, I've said this a million times in a million places, but I'll say it again once more for the record, you know. Um, I am violently opposed to Christopher McQuarrie coming back to direct Mission Impossible 6. I don't care if this is the Citizen Kane of the Mission Impossible movies. <laughs> you know, the idea that they're bringing someone who has made one before back to do another one suggests to me that this was never their master plan. It was just a happy coincidence. And at some point, just like just like they never, I'm sure, planned to have him, you know, jump and and land you know a few inches from the ground in every single movie which does he do that here or not does he do that um i don't think he does you mean a, a couple inches from the ed- well he jumps on a plane wing what? which is pretty he doesn't do that does he no or he's sort of suspended in the air like you know like in the first movie yeah, he teetering, falls and then like right the before he hits the ground and then they do it in all the other movies. You know, Jeremy Renner does it in the last one, right, and on top mm-hmm. of the magnet thingy. I don't think they do it in this one. That's strange. But anyway, no, just like yeah. just like that was never planned out, you know, and at some point it became like a joke. It became a gag or whatever. I mean, they should have realized. They should have realized what they had going here, and they should have hired someone else, like Paul Thomas Anderson, to, to direct oh, uh, this one. Not oh, Soderbergh? You don't want to hire Steven Soderbergh? I, I think Paul Thomas Anderson would have made more sense since uh, they have the history together, right? But, I mean, I sure. would have totally watched Soderbergh's Mission Impossible. But He could have broken the sixth wall. He could have, and he probably would have, mm-hmm. and it would have been amazing. Yeah. But what he made his Mission Impossible, Impossible movie, he, Haywire. Did you guys see Haywire? No. With Gina Carano? Oh, man. If you want to see a good, again, like Way of the Gun, like super realistic like action movie about a spy. I mean, it is Mission Impossible. It's basically Mission Impossible. Oh, that's okay. No, I, re- with, I, re- I know uh, the movie you're talking about. I haven't yeah, seen it. I do with, want to see it. Yeah. With, with Gina Carano as, as the spy. And, you know, yeah. it's awesome. It, it's it's extremely good. You know, she she's obviously, um, you know, capable of doing yeah, all of her own stunts and everything. Yeah, so, legit and, fighter. Yeah. yeah, and all of the combat and everything is, like, super realistic, and it would be like if Steven Soderbergh were to make a Mission Impossible movie. It's the best. Check it out for sure. Um, okay, then. But no, Paul Thomas Anderson, that should have been who they got. Anyway, whatever. Silly uh, me. I'll sell for Mr. Or for, for Christopher McQuarrie. I'll, I'll still watch the movie. <laughs> whatever. Okay, <laughs> so... Um, I guess just just one last thing here, which I know that we've talked about numerous times, but I just feel the need to say it again. Um, since we're talking about you know these movies um, in relation to Star Trek Beyond and looking at them as sort of J.J. Abrams productions and what that means for Star Trek Beyond, you know this movie played an integral role in the creation of Star Trek Beyond in that this was the bad robot production which was going on when things seem to be in trouble behind the scenes on Star Trek Beyond. And uh, in some discussions that Brian Burke, the other producer, was having with Simon Pegg, who obviously is going to be acting in the new Star Trek movie, um, 
uh, on the set of this movie, Simon Pegg gave some suggestions to Brian Burke as to directions which they might want to go in with Star Trek Beyond. And Brian Burke apparently liked those directions a lot and decided to hire Pegg to uh, write Star Trek Beyond. So without this movie, Star Trek Beyond would not be the movie which it will be, good or bad. And probably not released on time either. Probably not. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So so there you go. Um, any final thoughts on Rogue Nation, Chrissy? Oh, final thoughts on Rogue Nation. Um, I love it. It's it's really great. I I I love. We didn't talk at all about Simon Pegg. We talked a lot about Alec Baldwin. Oh yeah, I guess we should. We didn't talk. Yeah. We didn't talk about Simon Pegg in this, and I I. I love what he brings to, to the Rogue Nation table, you know, in the Ghost Protocol and when we meet him in three. I, I love the idea that he thought for a moment that he had won tickets to a, an opera in Vienna. Yeah. Like, yeah. he was just like, oh, I'll nip off and see an opera. <laughs> yeah. That's nothing unusual there. Um, I love how loyal he is to, to Ethan, of course. And I, I love that he's he's the guy who always, always uh, he's writing checks that Ethan Hunt is the expected <laughs> expected to cash um they, so i i'm i'm excited to know that he contributed to beyond uh because to, to me that means that you know a that they knew it was in trouble and needed to do something and that you know simon Pegg is going to be the guy who's like what if we try this because I, I think he's so creative and you know has has made so many interesting things that like I, i'm willing to bet that his contribution is going to be wholly beneficial yeah yeah it, it, what they do with his character the character of benji and, and benji's arc mm -hmm. sort of over these three movies is pretty awesome because he really does just start as sort of like the comic relief computer nerd guy sitting you know at the office doing his thing and then they bring him into the field change the dynamic and then with this one i mean he really i mean he gets to some some dark places you know i mean that that scene where he's like being held captive and the big bad guy mm -hmm. who looks terrifying is, you know, face to face with him. I'm like, wow, you know, we've come so far with this character from the guy who is just sort of the nerdy dude in the computer room to now going head to head with this big bad guy. I mean, that's pretty impressive, mm -hmm. you know, the way that they were able to successfully um, build that character into, into what he is in this movie. So, yeah, uh, it's definitely cool for sure. What what about you, John? Any final thoughts? Uh, I I don't know how much more praise I could throw on it, except for the fact that um, I call me blasphemous for saying this or whatever. But uh, Joe Kramer, uh, I liked this soundtrack more than what Jacino did in Mission Impossible Four. I I actually at several points I was like, yeah, this is I dig this. This is what I want to hear, and. Uh, as a tie to uh, another movie that we have spoken about while talking about J.J. Abrams as producer, he did the score for uh, Joyride 2, which was not produced by Abrams, but was based on characters that were co-created by Abrams. Uh, so it's a tenuous true. connection, but it's there. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked Joe Kramer's work on this for sure, but I mean, Chikino was on fire and three and four. So, you know, mm. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I can't I can't uh, mm. can't do that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I, I do 
like this movie now. I appreciate it much more than I, I did the first time I saw it. I think maybe my expectations were so high that when it didn't um, do exactly what I wanted it to do the first time around, I was disappointed. But now looking at it again for what it is and not what I want it to be, um, I can appreciate it a lot more. And I'm anxiously looking forward to watching it again because I, I imagine that I'm going to like it even more the next time around. So, yeah. Cool. All right. So, Chrissy, now I I know you're on Educating Geeks, and people can, can find you on there. Is, is there anything else you, you want to plug or anywhere else people can find you? Well, yes. Uh, folks who live in the Phoenix area or the greater Phoenix area can find me at uh, National Comedy Theater uh, every Friday and Saturday night where we do improvised comedy shows uh, and teach improv classes, and that's uh, nctphoenix.com. NCTPhoenix.com. Awesome. Yes, it's uh, N for national, C for comedy, T for theater, and then Phoenix, all spelled out, dot com. Excellent. Nice, nice. Very cool. That's kind of a dream job. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it is like... definitely a, a, a dream job, for sure. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Very cool. Very cool. That's, so if, yeah. if, if Mike and I come out to Phoenix, we're getting comp tickets, right? Oh, absolutely. You'll be the, the guest of honor. Yes. <laughs> we'll drag right. you up on stage. <laughs> Let, let's plan this trip, Mike. We All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been really great. And uh, yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Woohoo! Well, that was fun talking to Chrissy about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. And uh, yeah, it's a good conversation. Yeah, very good. So, there's some news, some creator news, some big creator news. About in the Star world Trek? Of, yeah. Huh. I know, right? I didn't see anybody talking about anything. <laughs> What's it about? Uh, it's about um, the showrunner and co-creator of the new Star Trek series. Now, I know that we're late to the party because, of course, this happened the day after we recorded our last show. So we're mm -hmm. like, you know, a week and a half behind here. But, you know, whatever. Uh, it is what it is. Brian Fuller has been hired to uh, co-create and run the new Star Trek show. Yes. Now, Brian Fuller, for those people who may not be familiar, is a Star Trek writer. He uh, got his start on Deep Space Nine. He There was the, the open submission um, uh, program, mm -hmm. uh, which we talked to um, you know Eric about and everything uh, when on uh, Next Generation, and that continued through Deep Space Nine and Voyager. And uh, Brian Fuller submitted uh, some, some scripts to the various shows, and uh, Deep Space Nine bought a couple of them and turned them into some episodes, which included uh, his first episode, The Darkness and the Light, which now every time I see the title, all I can think of is, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Snoke. Yeah, uh, Snoke, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he did that one, and then he did another one, Empok Noor, uh, for Deep Space Nine, he did the stories for those, and then he uh, got a job on Voyager and worked his way onto the staff and worked his way all the way up to, you know, a, a co-producer by the time that show ended mm -hmm. and um, wrote a lot of episodes, a lot of episodes which are considered to be really good, like Living Witness and um, Workforce. And uh, his final episode was... Um, 
Friendship One, which was one of the last episodes of, of Voyager. And he has in the past talked about how his dream job would be to run the new Star Trek show or a new Star Trek show. He's been talking about this for at least three years now, you know, talking about how he had an idea for like a second ship in the JJ verse. Mm -hmm. He said perhaps the Reliant talking about how he and, and Brian Singer had a pitch for an idea and he was expecting it, you know, to, to, or expecting them to talk about it. Uh, after Into Darkness was released, and now finally here he is. It's, I think, the yeah. thing that everyone kind of hoped and dreamed for because he started off in Star Trek, and once he left Star Trek, he became a name, and now yeah. he wants to come back to Star Trek, and it's kind of awesome that, that well, this is happening. Yeah, I mean, and it's he's not just a name because he's been like sticking around. He's made some stuff that has really made an impression. He is, oh, yeah. he is. I mean, I was a big fan of the show Hannibal and that show created an impression uh, for two reasons. One, it was really well written and acted and produced, but two, it was like the perspective I'm coming from is I'm, truly excited to see what he does with Star Trek because Hannibal was the type of show where not just in terms of the limits it pushed, but in terms of the look it had that I would watch it and say, I cannot believe I'm watching network television. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it's, it was on network television and it's visual aesthetic was meeting and or exceeding shows that are acclaimed on FX and AMC and these other basic cable channels that have frequently gotten away with, uh, you know, just a slicker look to to create the impression. So, in like I I I think that there's there's no downside to this announcement. There's no downside to this hire. I I don't see any anybody that could possibly come at this and say, oh, Brian Fuller. Like I I'm stoked. To even if I didn't know that he was coming home to Star Trek. If I, if all I knew was that he produced Hannibal, I'd be like, oh, yes, mm -hmm. awesome. And I think that all, you know, the stuff that he's worked on is always, you know, it hasn't been necessarily long lived. And, you know, he's sort of, I guess, known in, in, in some ways for his shows sort of getting killed before their time. But it's not because his shows were bad. It's because they weren't getting ratings that the networks wanted. And... So now he's being put in an environment with a property that has incredible potential where he's not going to have to worry about ratings, not not traditional ratings the way that, that he's always had to. Like he's able to create a show where CBS is going to be like, hey, are we making money on the app? Yeah. OK, cool. You know? Yeah, no, that's definitely true. You know, I, I'm I'm ashamed to say that I haven't watched any of Brian Fuller's sh creations um, mm. up until now, which is really weird. I mean, obviously, I've seen his Star Trek stuff, and I saw his work on Heroes, which, honestly, I thought that show was a piece of crap. But regardless, I mean, that it, wasn't It was like overrated, but the it time was, he was yeah. there was one of its stronger moments. That's terrifying. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's one of those things where, like, I never... It's never like I was like, I don't want to watch that show. It was always like, oh, I want to watch that show. 
I just, I, I don't have the time, you know, but sooner mm-hmm. or later I will get around to watching it. And now is the sooner or the later, you know, it's, it's now is the time. So when this mm-hmm. happened, when this announcement made, you know, especially since like we do this show, like I kind of freaked out a little bit since I didn't, everyone's like, Brian Fuller is amazing. And I'm like, I'm sure you're right, but I haven't seen this stuff, you know? It's like, so I I went back, and this week I have watched every single Brian Fuller pilot, with the exception of Hannibal, because I ran out of time, but I will watch it. So I and and I've I've liked all of them to to one degree or another. I mean, just to go down the list, it's uh, Dead Like Me, mm-hmm. which I thought was was really good. Have you seen that one? Uh, long ago, yeah. Okay, yeah, really. Cool I, I haven't revisited anything. He so. he only did the first five episodes, and then he left oh, okay. because the the network was like completely screwing him over. But yeah, regardless, mm-hmm. um, then he did uh, Wonderfalls which is also a very interesting show, which got canceled after four episodes. I love the DVD. It's like, the complete series, all 13 <laughs> episodes, including nine, which never aired before. Like, <laughs> which never made it to air. Yeah. Oh, boy. But it's... Have you seen that one? No, I haven't seen it. That was, it was gone too quick. Yeah. Okay, I mean, just so the people... Dead Like Me is a show about a girl, like an 18-year-old girl who dies and becomes a Grim Reaper. But it's yes. a comedy, you know. It's done for laughs. Mm-hmm. It's good. Um, Wonderfalls, very similar concept. It's about like this girl who she graduates from college and now she's working in a gift shop at Niagara Falls, and she's having sort of like a crisis um, of of you know her life or whatever, trying to figure out what it is that she's doing with her life. And then little inanimate objects, like for example, a, a wax. Uh, lion or a an eagle on the back of a quarter start talking to her and saying hey you should do these things and basically what they're telling her to do is things which will end up helping other people oh that's right? cool it's really weird but awesome I, I, I really liked the first episode definitely check it out it's very funny hmm. um, then he did uh, The Amazing Screw on Head which I had seen before. I had okay. seen that before. Have you seen that? Nope. I haven't seen that one. It's based on a Mike Mignola comic book, the guy who does Hellboy. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. I know it's weird, right? But yeah, yeah he, 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 did, he did this comic book, and basically what it is is it takes place like during like Civil War era, and there's a guy voiced mm-hmm. by Paul Giamatti, and he's a head that screws onto whatever bodies he needs to be screwed onto. And he's basically like Abraham Lincoln's James Bond. So anytime Lincoln needs something done, whether it's fighting like zombies or whatever, he sends in the amazing screw on head who saves the day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's got Paul Giamatti, David Hyde Pierce, you know, it's, and it's all done. Like Mignola himself was the art director. So it looks like that, style oh wow see that's and, cool yeah that's really cool okay. and they did they did the one episode you know animated for the sci-fi channel and it uh didn't get picked up so they just showed it as like a special but you can now find was it. it was it when it was the sci-fi channel or the sci-fi channel it was back when it was spelled properly okay that's good 
<laughs> yes. Uh, so I had seen that before, and it is it is good. It's really funny, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's that, and then he did. Um, Pushing Daisies, which mm-hmm. I think most people consider to be his masterpiece in a sense. He got nominated for Emmys for that one and stuff, which is about a guy who yeah. can bring things back to life for one minute unless he touch. It's very complicated. But, um, yeah, he's a pie maker, very quirky, very yes. Sonnenfeld. The guy who directed Get Shorty and Men in Black did the pilot. You know, yeah. he won the Emmy for, for his direction Super quirky, super weird, and honestly, just watching the pilots, while I did like it, that's the one that worked the least for me. Interesting. Um, it was just a little too much. Like I feel like both Sonnenfeld and Fuller are super crazy huh. guys, and when you put them together, they, there's no one to tell them when to stop, you know? So, hmm. I don't know. Whatever. I wouldn't agree with you about Pushing Daisies. <laughs> that one I have... I have seen. I haven't revisited it, but I I have very fond memories of it. Um, yeah, and I, I like. But but the thing is to touch on the crazy ideas thing. Like he's the type of creative guy you want running this Star Trek show because if there's one thing you can sort of ping, and you know, on from there to here, we're you know we're rewatching everything. And one of the points that's already come back is, well, you know, when you have this many hours of television, you're going to revisit some things. You're going to redo some things. And I, I think that if you just look at the body, if you just look at pushing daisies, like you, you have somebody coming in who's going to say, no, let's, you know, let's be a little nuts. Let, let's be a little mm-hmm. crazy with it and breathe some life into it. Let's not just stay beholden to the idea that it's Star Trek and it has to be sci-fi in this mold. Like, I, I think that he could actually sort of blow the doors off of it and, and take That's it definitely somewhere. definitely true. Yeah, and he's definitely got a really good sense of humor. He's really good with dialogue yeah. and everything like that. And, you know, I mean, I guess I've only seen one episode of Pushing Daisies, so I can imagine, you know, that it would grow into something, you know, much bigger and better or whatever, and I'll definitely check it out for sure. Yeah, I think And then the last, the last one that I watched was Mockingbird Lane, which was his uh, um, failed Monsters reboot that he did with Brian Singer. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't like it? See, I mm. was like, hey, I, like, I was like, this is a really weird, interesting, cool take. Mm. I mean, you know, I grew up watching the Munsters and I, mm-hmm. I, I, I appreciated mm-hmm. this take. I'm not like a super Munster fan or anything like that, but I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm down with this. I could watch this show for it sure. It didn't click with me. It just okay. didn't click. All right. So yeah, so so the show is just to recap. If anyone wants to check them out or whatever, and you know, it, it is uh, Dead Like Me, mm-hmm. Wonderfalls, uh, The Amazing Screw on Head, Pushing Daisies, yeah, Mockingbird Lane, and Hannibal. Mm-hmm. I yes. need to check out Hannibal. I'll let you next week. I, next week, I'll let you know what I think about the the Hannibal the will wear you Hannibal. out. I'm going to warn you; yeah. it will wear you out. It's, and here, it, it was it, it was one of those shows where you know how everybody loves to marathon stuff. Mm-hmm. I couldn't marathon Hannibal. Like at yeah. the end of an hour, you're kind of like, I need a break, guys. I need <laughs> to walk away from this and sort of. I have to go look at a sunrise or something. Yeah, yeah. It goes some dark places. <laughs> and he's yeah. got a new show coming out too, American Gods, based on the Neil Gaiman book. So that should be exciting too. So, yeah, yeah. So exciting times in the world of Star Trek. Um, Yes, for sure. All right. Well, 
It's been fun talking about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Brian Fuller this week. But that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM, so here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Earl Grey. Jordy is the one that's like, you know what? No, you're wrong. You're wrong about Data. I'm going to drop a challenge right here, and Data's totally going to step up to the plate, and you're going to get served, Plasky. And that's how LaForge created Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would be to, I'm not saying it turned out good, but I mean, he had good intentions. <laughs> the Orb. The Wadi, a fun-loving race from the Gamma Quadrant, arrive at DS9 eager to play a game with Cisco and the crew, one that appears to be a matter of life and death. All right, so are we moving along, Matthew? Oh, we're moving along. <laughs> Is there any redeeming value? The ready room. He's carrying in the lamb chop sock puppet <laughs> saying, she stayed at her post. <laughs> While Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> <laughs> While Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> to the journey! It feels like I just won an Oscar and an Emmy and a Tony. All at the same time, and a People's Choice Award, and a Nickelodeon Award. Dang! So, yeah, so not quite an EGOT, but close. <laughs> Commentary: Trek stars. I haven't seen Mean Girls. You haven't seen Mean Girls. I oh know. Everybody wants me to see oh Mean Girls. Oh my god! Yeah, you have to see Mean Girls. I mean, after yeah. Josie and the Pussycats. Though. So. Oh, I see Josie and the Pussycats. The Six O Two Club. I actually like when they bring in the big container for the brain fish at the beginning. That's so weird. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, was really it opens mysterious. up and it's, you know, speaking through the... And all the minions that have the, to mop uh, up after it at the end. Yes. Yeah, yeah I thought yeah, that was pretty no. funny. All the, it's like a slug trail. Um, you can actually see one of the guys while he's talking, kind of wandering around, mopping up. I was like, yeah. what is that guy doing? Literary tricks. You're totally right that when Atonement was done, I really did feel like um, everybody needed a break. Like a Not Kit Kat that- bar? There wouldn't be challenges and obstacles and things, but I wanted the the next sort of series of adventures that they faced for a while to be more infused with the sense of wonder that sort of underpins all of Trek. Women at Warp. A.F., which are the initials that Picard carved into Boothby's tree back on Starfleet Academy, and that is how he met Boothby the groundskeeper. Well, we never did learn Boothby's first and second name, did we? (laughs) It was all a ploy to get to hang out with Boothby. Meta Trex. If I look at the Abrams verse now, having talked it out, it seems like they're both an alternate timeline and uh, and an alternate reality at the same time. Not every sense of alternate timeline, not every sense of alternate reality, but there's at least one sense in which they overlap, and you can say you can have your cake and eat it too, and, and the Abrams verse is both at the same time. Melodic Trex. I wanted something for the chorus, you know, a phrase uh, describing them, which is uh, amazing. And I wanted to use a different word for that, uh, for amazing. And in this case, I, I, I sought out the, the African Swahili word, uh, kushangeza, which is an actual word that means amazing. And introducing Saturday Morning Trek, a show about the animated series and all things Trek in the 1970s. 
Chekhov was in the first season, but he was working on the third deck behind the boiler room and was ill with a condition called Malaprovsky's malady, which is a kind of 23rd century version of Montezuma's revenge, and was hidden in the bathroom, ensconced there for hours and hours, while poor Mr. Connor's genetically engineered kidneys about to explode, pounded pitifully on the door, begging to be let in, until finally the door opens, Chekhov steps out, Khan looks at him and says, Your face, I remember. That's the best explanation I've ever heard. You get, yeah, you get the idea that I've told this story before. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, including uh, iTunes, Windows Phone, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Media Player, all mm. those places. Yes. You can stream and download them from the website. You know, if you just go to Trek.fm, you can find them all there. So check yeah. it out. And while you're at iTunes, leave us a review. You know, it'll make us happy. We will yeah. read it on the air. We In a promise. silly voice. In a silly voice. If you want to contact us, you can go to Trek.fm slash contact and fill out the form there, which will go directly to us. Or you can find the network on Facebook. Uh, just look for Trek.fm, or you can find the network on Twitter at Trek.fm, or also on Facebook, you can find the Babel Conference, which is our uh, listener discussion group, um, which uh, we is where we is basically our forums, you know, where we talk about whatever we want to talk about. You know, there was a, an interesting Rogue Nation thread which spinned into a discussion as to whether or not Mad Max Fury Road was any good, you know? So, uh, hey. Spoilers, it is. Yeah, I agree with you. High yeah. five. High five. Uh, <laughs> all right, virtual <laughs> high five. Um, yeah, so you can find us in, in all of those locations. Uh, John, where can people find you on the internet? Look for me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. Uh, you can find me on another podcast called Words with Nerds that I co-host with my buddy Craig where we talk about all of the effluvia of science fiction and other geekery. And you can find me on a podcast called Aggressive Negotiations that I co-host with uh, Trek FM's own Matthew Rushing, where we explore some of the mm, the uh, weirder corners of the Star Wars galaxy. Yeah, did you see in that press release today, they announced that Michael Kaplan is coming back to do uh, costumes for Episode Eight. That's and fantastic. we're going to get some more awesome jackets. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I was uh, most heartened by uh, just that. I, I got to be honest, that footage of Luke was was great to see again. So you think so. that was new footage or not? Because there's people no. who were like, his beard is different and all this stuff. And no, it's going to no, come I, back. I think, right? I think that's just yeah. what they shot for because uh, Johnson was there helping shoot the end, uh, what became the end of episode seven. Oh, really? So, yeah, oh, he wow. actually worked with Abrams uh, on that oh, one. Wow. Cool. So I yeah I mean who knows if it that means that the uh, we're going to open with like an alternate take of the ending of episode seven and it'll be like instantaneously afterward be interesting. You got to um, figure that it's got to start in space somehow. I would hope so. Yeah. All I mean, but the thing is, they broke you know other quote unquote rules of of the Star Wars visual language before. So while I would desperately want them to start with a ship in space just for the sake of repetition i i think i've learned to sort of let go and just be like you know what they're gonna do whatever they do <laughs> true true enough true enough um yeah and laura dern hey man laura dern from the master right yeah you know i actually um i i was trying to think would she play winter 
who's an old EU character who had a uh, a, a, a perfect memory and uh, was able to, you know, she was basically like Leia's, um, you know, right hand or whatever in the in the Zahn novels, but uh, in, in the original ones back in the 90s. But uh, my wife actually said, oh, well, she could be Ray's mom. I was like, oh, yeah, actually yeah. she could. Yeah. I think I think that's that's where the good money is right now. Everyone's talking about, yeah, she's going to be Ray's mom. I don't know. Yeah. Exciting times. Exciting times. Yes. For sure. Exciting times. Where can they find you, though, Mike? Uh, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing uh, From There to Here, producing it uh, each and every day. And you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com doing commentary track stars and you can find me on twitter at mumbles3k you can find the show on twitter at comtrackstars and you can email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com all right before we go um buy some of our stuff oh yeah <laughs> go to uh um track.fm slash store and that'll take you to our Redbubble store where you can get hoodies or t-shirts or pillows or whatever else you want uh some good stuff on there for sure some really cool stuff really cool yeah. stuff and i hear there's more designs coming soon still hoping for a citizen cane of, of uh podcasts thing but you know we'll see, we'll see how that goes <laughs> um so also another way that you can help us out is by becoming a patron of the network on patreon.com slash trek fm that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trek fm where you can donate on a monthly basis to help keep the show running. And there's different perks based on how much you donate, whether it's uh, wallpapers or um, uh, early downloads or, uh, you know, seats on our, our, our content uh, development team or um, participating in the um, patron roundtable podcast. You know, there's yeah. exciting stuff. It definitely uh, some 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 good stuff which you can do and and uh, yeah we would really appreciate your support for sure. And one last way that you can help us out is by supporting our sponsor Audible.com, where you can get a free audio book of your choice just for signing up, along with a thirty day trial to see how great Audible is. John, you got a book for us this week. Do I ever? Uh, since there was a uh, sly reference to it in Rogue Nation uh, this week, it's Battlefield Earth, written by L. Ron Hubbard, uh, narrated by Roddy McDowell. Suspense, politics, war, humor, and intergalactic finance. A towering masterwork of science fiction adventure and one of the best-selling science fiction novels of all time, L. Ron Hubbard's Battlefield Earth opens with breathtaking scope on an Earth dominated for 1,000 years by an alien invader, and man is an endangered species. From the handful of surviving humans, a courageous leader emerges, Johnny Goodboy Tyler, who challenges the invincible might of the alien Cyclo Empire in a battle of epic scale, danger, and intrigue with the fate of the Earth and of the universe in the tenuous balance. You know, I just thought about this. I'm going to get to see The Master in 70 millimeter next week. And I think maybe before that I have to watch Battlefield Earth for the first time at home and do a good don't, double feature. Don't, don't watch. No, don't watch. <laughs> ba- no, there's no, there is no legitimate reason to watch Battlefield Earth. Go to Audible and download the okay. book. The, books, the book I have read, the book is actually quite enjoyable until about the last hundred pages. But it is, it is a good book. Okay. Way better than the movie. 
Okay, go. I'll download the book and I'll listen to it while I'm driving to the theater. There um, you go. And since I'm a listener to Trek FM, I can get that book or any other book of my choice for free. If I go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, I can uh, sign up, get a free audiobook, get the free trial, see how great it is, and yeah, everyone's happy. All right. Um, I guess that's pretty much it. We yeah, talked about I'm... Rogue Nation. We talked about Brian Fuller. And that's that's it for J.J. Abrams in terms of the movies that we're covering. Yeah. So next week we're going to do a recap where we're going to look at all of these movies uh, as a whole and see what conclusions we can draw about uh, his contribution to Star Trek Beyond. Yeah.